0: Praise God! Shall we have a word of prayer before we enter the room? Let's just uh, lay aside everything that will distract us. Father, we thank you for your Son Jesus, and Lord, we thank you for your precious word, through which you speak to us all. And Lord, we're coming tonight, Lord, with hearts that are open wide and minds that are open to Lord, just to be, to be taught. Pray that you help us, Lord, to understand everything that we look at tonight. Not just to, again, not just to gain information, Lord, or knowledge, but Lord, to to understand how it applies to us in our daily life. And just ask that through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So, so, where are we? Where are we? We are in Romans chapter 6, but before we get there, you can open your Bibles in Romans 6. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of Romans 6, I just want to get a... Well, just talk a little bit more about Romans chapter 5, because it's such a pivotal passage. Mm-hmm. And you missed it, didn't you, darling? Mm-hmm. May mean, I have to go over it all again? No, it's right. it, was, it was a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long night. <laughs> I've to, to Oh! <laughs> Oh, you (laughs) sinner! Turn it into Diana's confessions. So, (laughs) bless the Lord. So, last study, we talked about that really difficult passage, Romans chapter 5, and in particular verse 12. And uh, therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, and death through sin... And thus death spread to all men, because all sin. And uh, on the surface it looks pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Um, We realise that it's not as straightforward as it might seem. And I talked to you about a guy called Saint Augustine, remember? Mm -hmm. Augustine of Hippo. He wasn't Hippo, he was from Hippo, in North Africa. And so he was from the... He was around in the 4th century in the 5th century, early 5th century and this guy is key really in the in Christian thought and, and, and interpretation of scripture because m- many of his ideas really shaped Christian thought for another thousand years and even to today he has had, had such an impact on Christian thinking and interpretation of the scriptures but remember We talked about him being influential in the Western Church, the Latin-speaking Church. We talked about some of the differences in the Latin and the Greek. And it seems something so trivial, such a trivial um, mistake for somebody of of such brilliance to make. Uh, But it shows you just how much our interpretation of Scripture can have an impact upon the way that you live, the way that you approach subjects and, and things, you know, the whole can shape your whole life right yeah. And uh, anyway, so I just wanted to say as well, also, because this is all part of the uh, the discussion. It's part of a wider discussion. You know, he didn't appear in a vacuum. This Saint Augustine. There was a discussion going on, and he was debating with a guy, a British monk called Pelagius. We really had Pelagius or Pelagianism. Okay, so Pelagius was this British monk, and Pelagius came up with the idea, and it really, it was in contrast to Augustine, and he says that, you know, we don't inherit anything from Adam, anything. I think we all came to the conclusion, and rightly so, I believe, that we've inherited a sinful nature, or in other words, a a, a nature with a propensity towards sin, yeah? Okay remember Augustine said well actually we don't just inherit the nature we inherit his guilt we were in in Adam when he sinned and therefore we inherit his guilt and his nature we had difficulties with that because we talked about some of the implications of it with children on the other side of the debate you've got Pelagius and Pelagius says we, we get absolutely nothing we don't inherit anything from Adam so it's like every time a human being is born into the world, it's like starting over again. Okay? Uh, and that we do not need the grace of God. We don't need any, any intervention from God to enable us to live the life that he wants us to live. That he would, this, that the reasoning was that God would never require or demand anything of a human being that he didn't have the ability to do, to perform. Okay? So that's the other side of the spectrum, if you want, isn't it? One's pushing it, I think, too far. And the other one's not gone far enough. Okay? And somewhere in the middle, and I think the middle is is the safe ground, is the right place to be. And I think it's clear from our own experience, not just from the scripture, but I think from our own experience that we we have a sinful nature. We have inherited it in some way from Adam. You know? It's part of our makeup, isn't it? And that that spiritual death, the state of spiritual death that every person is born into. So remember when we talk about spiritual death, we're talking about the fact that you're cut off from God. We're cut off as human beings from God. And yet we serve a God that comes after us. And this is what's so beautiful about it. You know that Christ died for the ungodly. Mm -hmm. Not that we deserved it in any way or form. shape or form. And so um, just wanted to to mention that. And then in Romans chapter 5, in the final verses the Apostle Paul contrasts what what Adam did with Christ. And how Christ has reversed the things that Adam introduced into the world. Therefore verse 18 for example says, therefore as through one man's offence, judgment came to all men. Resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Okay, so you can see Adam brought condemnation, Christ brought justification, but just just remember that it's not automatic. You know, it's not that everybody's justified. Yes, Christ died for all. Every single person. But we know, through the rest of the scriptures, and Paul's just argued this in Romans 4 and everything else, we know that it it doesn't come automatically. We have to appropriate this by faith. Okay? So, So what we say, what theologians usually say is, that what Christ did was sufficient for all men. But efficient for those who believe. Does that make sense? Okay. Good. Praise God. And he goes on to say, verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Adam Christ. Verse 20, Moreover the law entered that the offence might abound. But where sin abounded... Grace abounded much more. Alright, so remember we said that the law was introduced to really define sin. What is it? Because it's there, it's, 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 it's almost like a, a disease that's carried from one generation to the next. But what does it look like in real terms? What does it, What? how does it appear in your day to day? And then the law is introduced, which puts a name to it. So then... You have transgressions. Where there's a law, there's transgressions. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. But the st- sin still exists and still destructive, and is still, you know, uh, uh, um, bringing its its destructive effects and, and resulting in death. Okay. So a sin reigned in death, verse twenty-one. Even so, grace might reign. Through righteousness, to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So again, Adam introduces death into the world. Christ introduces grace that leads to life. That beautiful word, grace. Grace. And we're going to think about what that means a bit later on tonight. But anyway, let's get into the following verses. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 14 of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. For the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace." okay excellent so we're coming into a new section in the letter and that section is living the Christian life you won't remember this but right at the beginning of our studies I kind of showed you a, an overview of the letter you know so we get a better understanding of how things fit together so this is this is the part the practical we're talking about some of the practicalities of living the Christian life um, okay so, title: Freedom from the power of sin. Romans six one through twenty three. That's the whole chapter. Speaks about freedom from the power of sin. Think about it for a moment. We've spoken about the penalty, freedom from the penalty of sin, so far, haven't we? God's work of salvation is, is judicial work, if you want, is legal work. He paid the price. In our stead he died our death he paid our punishment
1: we are forgiven
0: because of him All right? you don't have to worry about being judged or condemned for eternity if you're in Christ because it's already been paid so you've, you've experienced freedom in Christ from the penalty of sin but the work of salvation goes beyond just paying the price the things that we've done wrong, so that we might be in right standing before God. This is what's wonderful about the Christian life. This is this is what makes it authentic, because it doesn't just forgive somebody of for sins, it transforms their lives. It transforms a sinner into a righteous person. And I'm not just talking about being positionally right before God, being right standing, but that you actually start to live out a righteous lifestyle. But one of the things, one of the characteristics or one of the, the evidences of being a Christian, a true born again Christian, is that suddenly, whereas before, you lived in a way that, you know, and now there are degrees of this, alright. another there are different degrees of this. But you lived in a way that you were, you were independent, you decided what was right and wrong for you, basically. You know, and if you were like me, you did a lot of things, you, you transgressed quite a lot. And there are others who didn't transgress as much, but we all transgressed. You know, there are some good sinners and some bad sinners. But everybody, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the wonderful thing is, that when you become, when, when you walk in that life, when you walk in that life and everybody else is kind of doing the same thing. You might even laugh about, ooh, you know, I was a bit of a naughty. And just, you know you're doing it wrong, but you just, everybody does it. And you just go with the flow. It just comes naturally. Suddenly, when you come to Christ... And Christ makes that transformation in your life. Not just, like I said, to forgive you of your sins... But that you're converted, you're born again. On the inside, you suddenly have this desire to please God. Does everybody know what I'm talking about tonight? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, there's a deep desire within you. you know, you've know, you realised what He's done for you. You've you recognised that He's holy in you or not. So there's a desire... To become holy. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And, 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 and as you walk with the Lord, you'll see that He, he changes you from glory to glory, the Scriptures tell you. you. know, the idea is that you experience freedom from the power of sin. Not just the penalty, but the power of sin. And that's what's awesome about the Gospel. Because only the work of God in the inner man that can bring about freedom from the power of sin. It's only what we're about to talk, talk about now that can bring freedom from the power of sin. No amount of New Year's resolutions or religiosity. Be careful with that word. Okay, religiosity. Or rituals. You know, or, or whatever. Philosophies. None of that can transform the inner man. It can give you a different perspective on things, but it cannot bring about that transformation that only God can bring about on the inner man. Okay? Praise God. So, what has God done? How has he dealt with the power of sin within all of us? How has he dealt with it? Well, first, we're released from sin's power through union with Christ. Everything that he needs to do in you did it in Christ. He dealt with you in Christ. Alright, and that's what comes through in this chapter. You see, it's the, it's the, the, the language of union, becoming one with Christ. Paul says, in the opening verse, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? That would be a ridiculous conclusion, wouldn't it? But that could be an accusation against what he's been teaching thus far. Because he's just said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So why not just continue in sin? Why not just continue living the way you were living? Because God's grace is immense. You know, how could you reach that conclusion? Some could accuse him of that, of teaching that wrongly. How does he respond? He responds like this one. Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it, live any longer in it? And I know what you're thinking in your heart. You're thinking, how have I died to sin when I'm struggling with it constantly? Anybody thinking that? We all struggle with it, right? Okay. Let's just keep following. Think about Israel's history. Where Israel rebelled, God poured out His grace throughout salvation history. So you see, as you read through the Scriptures, you see the, the, the history of Israel. So many times they get it wrong, so many times they mess up, they're judged, but you see God pouring out His grace and His mercy throughout salvation and history, yes? Praise the Lord. That's the type of God we serve. Should we therefore sin to receive more grace? Paul says, me genoito. Certainly not, or absolutely not. That's ridiculous. It's emphatic in the Greek, okay? So, Paul speaks of dying to sin. Did you notice that in the scriptures? He talks about dying to sin, the singular, not sins. Sins are the actions that we produce because of our sin. Alright? Did you get that? Praise God. Alright, so let me just take that a little step further. You're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner as a human being. Okay? Because we have a nature, like we've said, we've received this nature, we has been passed along, this state of death, of being cut off. This nature, this propensity to do the wrong thing and not the right thing. We said this before, when, when we're given a a, a, a a negative command, don't do this or don't do that. You know, it does something to the insides of us and we end up, the, it becomes a temptation, doesn't it? And then we, we get drawn away and there's something inside of you. And i want to suggest you, that is the, the sinful nature. That is it. And you, you've got to stop and ask yourself, well, where's that come from? Why am I like that? Why is a human being like that? Why do we have to be told, or why is it such a, such a difficulty sometimes to do the right thing, and then the wrong thing comes out naturally? Sinful nature, guys, sinful nature. Anyway, so so that is to say, the underlying principle or power of sin. When Paul's speaking about dying to sin here, Okay, we need to remember he's speaking about sin, he? so he's speaking about the power of it, the principle of it. And he says Christians have been freed from sin. Christians have been freed from sin. And are therefore no longer slaves to sin. And he says this in verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with it, That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be Slaves of sin, verse seventeen. What does he say in verse seventeen in the chapter? But God be thanked that though you were sl- though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Praise God! You were slaves of sin, past tense. Right. Well else? Verse twenty. Verse twenty says, "For when you were slaves of sin." You were free in regard to righteousness. When you were slaves of sin, you had no, no uh, uh, um, obligation, if you like, to walk in righteousness. You had no interest in righteousness. Okay. Now things have changed as believers, as Christians, things have changed. So, death to sin is being set free from the mastery of sin, the dominion of sin. Everybody understand that? Okay. So we see here, Christ also died to sin. Not that he was a sinner, but as our representative, he died our death Didn't he? Amen? In the sense that becoming fully human, he entered the sphere in which sin dominates and he conquered it. So the fact is that in this life, there, is two, there are basically two ways you can... There are many philosophies. There are many religions, but we see, when pushed, comes to show. We see in the scriptures, and this is Holy Spirit inspired. There are two ways you can live. There are two spheres of existence. You can either live in Adam or in Christ. That's it. That's it. It's not. It goes so far beyond religion. All right. We're talking about spiritual power. We're talking about things that dominate us. And we can all attest to that. Because we, we've all sat here and said, you know, we're, here, we, we're all well aware of that, that, that propensity to sin. That desire within us that comes up and drags us away sometimes. Do you know, there are things going on that are much deeper than on the surface. Things going on within us that are powers that be. That are much greater than we can imagine. So. Um, So, Christ also died to sin in the sense of becoming fully human. He entered the sphere in which sin dominates our existence. And he conquered it. By going to the cross and paying the price uh, for us as our representative. He not only paid the price for our sins. Okay? With his shed blood. But he also dealt with sin. The principle of sin. In humanity. On that cross. If ever you've read. Has anybody ever heard of Watchman Nee? Brilliant. Watchman Nee. Not, not everybody. Some people find it hard. going in and stuff. But if you read some of them. I'm talking about Watchman Nee. Okay. The normal Christian life. He goes into some depth. In this. And how God has dealt with the sin principle. And the sins and transgressions of mankind at the cross. Okay. So. What what do we learn from this? We're learning that, that God has dealt with the whole problem of sin and sins in Christ, on that cross. So, Christians have been set free from sin's domination. So how can we go on living as if it is still the dominant force in our lives? Sin can no longer be the characteristic pattern of the believer's life. It is not in control anymore, to put it into layman's terms, right? It's not in control anymore. That's what he's saying. He's saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we, who died to sin, live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Ask yourself this question that Paul's asking his readers. Um, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? You know, the truth be told, there's a lot of us don't. We don't. We don't. We, we acknowledge it on the surface, but we don't understand the power of it, do we? We don't grasp that power. We don't understand that that is the way that God has dealt with us. Not just, not just with our sins and paying the penalty for them, but he's dealt with our freedom. He's, he's dealt with the principle of sin at the cross. And through Christ's death, that is the way that we will experience freedom from sin, from the domination of sin. That is the way that we're transferred from that sphere of sin and death into the place of grace and life and freedom. Okay, It's through his death. How do we get into Christ then? Paul talks about it here, but what's the problem? What's the problem here? What, what, what in, in, immediately comes to mind as you're reading these verses? Think about it again. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus, were baptised into his death. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What what question immediately comes to mind when you read those verses? What? Baptism. 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 What do you think? What's you? As you're reading that, what does it tell you about baptism? It says it says about times just as Christ dies we are baptized when we go to the water we die and we die and come out So question. Is baptism essential to salvation? But it's a sign. Okay, it's a sign. Just like uh, sort of precision was a sign of righteousness. Okay. No, it's nothing to do with salvation. So, what? 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 mean here then? I'm asking you first. <laughs> 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 so, if be you get to say something, listen, listen to it. You haven't got time, get time baptized, baptized. have you? Yeah. Like the thief on the cross, as we as we often point to, don't we? Yeah. yeah. I'm just I'm posing this question to you because this is the type of question that would we'll come to mind in his hour. What about baptism? You know, is there something we're missing in baptism? Is it really the way? Remember Augustine? He was the one that said, wasn't he? He said that uh, the way that that original sin is cleansed in children is through baptism. As if it's the waters that do something themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Is that baptism only a public declaration? Absolutely. Yes, it in a sense. Absolutely. And, and I think the thing that you, we need to remember is that the way, we, we're sitting 2,000 years old in Christian history. Okay? So the way that we do things today is not necessarily the way they did things in the beginning, the early church. So usually it was uh, simultaneous. You know, if you if you were going to be converted, the moment that you would confess Jesus to be the Lord would be in your baptism. There'd be nothing. You'd be baptized immediately. In the Book of Acts, that's how it works. You can see that, can't you? Mm. Uh, Philip and the, and the eunuch. Yeah. Uh, um, so we can see that, but but throughout church history, rightly or wrongly, for different reasons, um, some have separated the act of conversion from the act of baptism and again there were different reasons for that some because they needed to as, as many more pavings were coming into the faith they needed to to show evidence that they changed before they were baptized or think some the way of the, their way back after because they wanted to be accepted back into the, pagan into the lifestyle or their, their, by their own relatives, strategies yeah. whatever that have been acquired yes. and never really ran their own states so Others, there were Romans at some point. Depending on the time that you were living, there were Romans who were infiltrating the Christian communities and trying to find out where they were meeting and so on. All right, so they wouldn't baptize. I'm a convert, so they wouldn't baptize them straight away until you know. So, so depending on your historical situation, the circumstances you were in, you would uh, apply baptism in different ways. So that that shows us as well that the early church, even though it was simultaneous in the book of Acts that the early church, the early centuries of the church, they didn't believe that it was absolutely necessary for salvation, did they? Because they wouldn't have made that distinction. You know, they would have, they'd have. They introduced, um, was it catechism, um, catechism? Preparation for baptism. We do it. We don't just baptise somebody. We, we prepare them, we make sure they understand what they're going to put themselves in for, make sure they've understood what the gospel is, and so on. Anyway, so when Paul's speaking about baptism, he's speaking about conversion. Not just he's not. I understand as I understand it. It's not. He's not saying the waters do it. It's baptism that puts you into Christ. He's saying that that what you're demonstrating, as we, as you rightly said, is it, you are demonstrating the conversion experience. You know what that entails. Baptism in some way unites us with Christ's death. So let's just change the, the wording a little bit. Conversion. Conversion. Repentance and faith. Unites us with Christ's death. It's as if the Lord, at the moment that we truly, we're truly born again, we convert, the Lord takes us from that sphere of existence, sin and death and destruction and all these things and translates us he transfers us into this new way of living he puts us into Christ and in some mysterious way I don't understand it and I don't think anybody does if they're honest we become partakers of, 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 of what Christ has achieved for us on the cross you know and, and that's what he's saying how has he dealt with this, the problem of in your life? through Christ on the cross how does he include you? You're included by faith. You're included in that. In some way, mysterious, wonderful way, he includes us in that death and the resurrection. Because we share in Christ's death. We will also share in his resurrection. Let's have a look at some of these verses. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of death. Of his resurrection Praise God Verse (coughs) 8 8 to Um, 10 Now if we died with Christ We believe that we shall also live with him Knowing that Christ Having been raised from the dead Dies no more Death no longer has dominion over him For the death that he died He died to sin once for all but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Praise God for something to there. So we share. God puts us in some mysterious way, He includes us, and puts us into everything that Christ has achieved for us at the cross, including resurrection. Christ didn't just die for you; he was raised to life for you. you understand that. So now you can start to understand them. you're looking back to Adam and you're thinking, goodness me, we we're living the consequences of, of, of Adam. You know, the things that we, have because we were in Adam. Yes? But, but now, praise God, he's, he's, he's taken us out of Adam in a sense and included us in Christ. We've been included, we, we, we were accepted and included in what Christ has done for us. Sharing in Christ's death means freedom from sin. Again, we're going to talk about what exactly what that means in a moment. Okay. So,
1: verses six
0: sorry, chapter six, verse four to five says again, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So here I am. I'm a first century convert. You know, I've heard the gospel. There's a mikveh in front of me, which is a ritual bath, a Jewish ritual bath. You're going to see them when you go to Israel from that period. And you say, right, this is it. I believe, you know, I've been touched by the Holy Spirit. I've been changed. I want to go into the waters. I go into the waters and I'm baptised in the name of Jesus. Saviour. Praise God. What's happened? What's happened is I've been included in Christ. I've been taken out of that realm of death and where sin has dominion and death has dominion, and I've been included spiritually in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Yes, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Amen. Praise God. That's who I am in Christ. We were buried with Him through baptism. Into death. Okay, so again, what do we say? When we're symbolically, we're doing it. But I think there's so much more going on than just symbolism. Yes, the symbolism. But what, what does it represent? I died with Christ. Under the water, I was buried with Christ. My old life has gone. Of independence, of dominion, of sin. Doing my own thing. You know, living the way everybody else lives. And then I'm raised to life. To new life. To new life. I'm in Christ, and you're going to see that, in Christ. Christ is in you, but you are in Christ. I've been united with Christ. Hallelujah. I to say that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united, key word, if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So, let's break it down. Who we were in Adam was done away with when we were crucified with Christ. I wasn't crucified. Yes, you were. Do you understand? Galatians 2 verse 20. Everybody got Galatians 2 verse 20. Let's see what Paul says. Galatians 2 verse 20. Somebody read it when they get there. self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I gonna live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What what uh, versions that <laughs> I've got seven L T. That's interesting. My old self has been crucified. Anyone got something different? No. Yeah. Okay, what's your saying? Galatians 2 verse 20. <laughs> uh, i sit. sit down here and uh, Yeah. yeah no, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In the Son of God and love me. Hallelujah. That's it. it? I have been crucified with Christ. Paul says. Ah, Question: Was Paul there being crucified with Christ at the time? No. No. But he understands through his conversion that he's been included in some mysterious and wonderful way. He's been included. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I live, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and died for me. Ending Galatians 2.20. Amen. Praise God. You've been crucified with Christ. Yes, Adelaide. Quick question. Ephesians, they mentioned one baptism. Yes. Were there more than one that time? So it's one, faith, <coughs> one baptism. Did other religions baptise as well? Jews baptised, proselytes. Anybody that was coming out of the pagan world into Judaism were baptised. It's quite interesting because they were actually described as being born again. Jews baptised? Yes, they weren't about in the early church, obviously, in the days of the early church. That's okay. Yeah. So, interesting. One faith, one baptism. Yeah. Okay. Our bodies, in as much as they are dominated by sin, have been dethroned. Can you see here, the emphasis is on, you've been freed from the dominion of sin. It doesn't say, sin has been eradicated from your bodies. He's not said that anywhere, has he? Sin has been eradicated from you. Right? He hasn't said that. He said, you've been freed from its dominion, from its mastery. And he's saying, therefore, because of this, we should not be in slavery to sin. We shouldn't be slaves to it because we've been freed from it. Okay, So it's there. We know that. It's still there. We still have to battle with it. But he's saying, based on what Christ has done for us, This is where we have to believe this. That we've been set free from its dominion. It's not our master any more. Okay, so concluding thoughts on 6, 3 to 10. Douglas Moo, another Bible commentator, who says this. As Adamic people, we are all helpless slaves of sin. Okay, it comes naturally. In different degrees, obviously. But as Christian people, we have been set free from sin's tyranny. We've been set free from sin's tyranny. Okay. So, the third portion is that we have to talk about a new quality of life. So again, let's just look at verse 11 to 14. So Paul is spoken about how God has dealt with setting us free from the freedom of from from the tyranny of sin, right? In Christ, he's spoken about how we become beneficiaries, if you want, of that in Christ. So now he's going to talk about what we need to do. What's the what? what is, what is the, the practical application of all this wonderful theology we've just looked at, right? Verse 11. Likewise, you also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin verse 12, uh, 11 but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should abate in its lusts and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under law but under grace okay okay so what's he saying here, number one though we are indeed dead to sin he's explained that quite fully our imperative, our imperative is to reckon ourselves to be this way and obviously by reckoning He's saying you need to change your thinking about yourself because very often we, we don't think this way, do we? We don't. Very often we will approach this battle with sinners from a defeatist position. To, you know, and all, and then it turns into striving. It turns, and then it, and then it can become legalistic, and it's like I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. You're never good enough in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's the point. And that you've got to hold on to that. And that's why I try to emphasize Christ died for the ungodly. You understand? Because if not, you, you, you'll be in that place of striving all the time. And I'm not saying don't, don't walk in holiness and obedience. You know, there is something we need to do, but it starts here and he says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. Change the way you think about yourself. Believe that you're now in Christ. Mm-hmm. Believe that you've been, you've been in some mysterious way included in his death. Through your conversion. And his resurrection. Okay? Notice that when he talked about his resurrection, he talked about um, living in newness of life. Now, but also that we we shall be resurrected physically one day. In Christ, you will be resurrected. But that's not just for, for the future, guys. That resurrection power, that new life, is available to us now. Now is when we experience it. And it will culminate in the resurrection, the physical resurrection, when He returns. But we can we can live that new life now. Amen. Christ is in you; He's the hope of glory. So though we are indeed dead to sin, our imperative is to reckon ourselves to be this way. Verse eleven. When we see ourselves in this way, we can break the reign of sin in our lives, because you know, sin and your enemy—they will. He would like us; he wants us to to understand ourselves as still slaves, trying to be free. <coughs> I've got to do more to get myself free, you know. But when we start to rely upon what Christ has done for us, and say actually it's not about me, I've got to believe, I've got to, I've got to change my thinking, my, my my perspective on things, and understand and believe that I am dead to sin; That sin is not my master any longer. Christ is my master. Reckon yourselves, Paul says Do not let sin reign in your mortal body Do not let sin reign in your mortal body That you should abate in its lusts Again, that shows us Paul knew very well That the sin nature was still there And that its lusts were still there You know the desire to do the wrong thing Whatever it might be You know it's wrong but he's saying, you're under no obligation anymore. You've got the power to resist it. You can do it. You can do it. You can, but it starts with reckoning yourselves as dead to it. He starts in believing in what Christ has done for us. Amen. And so he goes on to say, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Do not present the members of your body, okay, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But... Present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Ephesians 4 verse 22. Somebody else open in Colossians 3 verse 9. Can we do Colossians 3 verse 9, mate? Right? 22. Ephesians four twenty two, Colossians three verse nine. Yep. You were taught with regard to to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by this deceitful desires, <coughs> to be made new in the new attitude of your mind. Amen. Amen. So she say you were taught. To put off the the old the old way of life. Okay, okay. Colossians three verse nine. Um, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices. Amen. Do not lie to one another. She's saying because see, you've put off your old self, so you got you got two two uh, perspectives on the same truth here, aren't you? One is saying that you've actually you've put off your old self, you know, that's who you were. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like to say when people say like, and when I'm struggling as well, when any of us are struggling, you know. Oh, I struggle with this, you know, I want to do this or I want to do that, you know it's wrong. So that's not you anymore, is it? It's not you anymore. It's not what you're about. Mm-hmm. You know, oh and it's, you know, well, I feel like we're smashing this chap's head in or whatever. It's thing. Yes, i parking my space, my parking space. <laughs> I feel like it, yes, sorry. There's one thing that boils my blood is coming, driving onto my car park and seeing somebody parked in my space. It's happened two or three times now. And I had to have words through the, what I was very gracious. <laughs> All the people, yes. It's like somebody driving to your... It's like somebody driving on your drive. Can you imagine walking on your drive and somebody's parked on your drive? What I'm trying to say to you is, you know, oh, I'm going to go and smash that button. But like that's, well, that's not you anymore. That was you. That's who you were. That's not you anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, at that point, you've got a choice, haven't you? Do I act in accordance with the way that I was, or do I act in accordance with my new mind? And what I do is I try to obey Ephesians 4, and it says, put off your old self. Do something, do, do whatever you need to do, not to obey sin and its lusts and its desires. Do you understand? Make that choice. Why? Because you're free to do so. You're free to do so. Do you understand? Praise God. Praise God. Don't let this talk. Don't <laughs> oh, no, I wasn't thinking to do that. I was. I didn't know I was going to do that. Uh, I got down there and I, wasn't, I was a bit banged up. And I did say, Excuse me. I said, you're in my space. Oh, I'm very oh, I'm so sorry. And I don't know what to do. It's all stop right. It's all right. It's all right. I was very angry and, and the, the neighbor downstairs, she tried to say, oh Robin, the people come Have you found him, Robin? <laughs> and, then, and then I, I shout, it's not right, he's glad. <laughs> and and straight the guy in the Have seen and the <laughs> you found him, Rob? And Rob just say, Adna, and I said, oh. <laughs> okay. oh. Okay. I got down there and I was armed. <laughs> <laughs> <fiorga> this um, oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 is a lovely not they to be armed. They're going to be armed. They're are yeah. i you know? things off. They're not you anymore. They're not what you're about. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. Christ is in you. You're in Christ. Yes, those things are still there. The lusts and the desires are still there, but dominate them. Don't allow allow—don't allow yourself to be a slave to those things. Yes, don't allow yourself to be a slave to them anymore because you've been set free. Christ has paid the price for you. Amen. Interesting, the verb translated present, present yourselves, or offer yourselves, I think, right? In some versions, uh can have the connotation dedicate in service to a king. Dedicate in service to a king. You've got a new king. You've got someone who's got new dominion over your life, lordship, and saying, you know, present yourselves as... A, Dead dead to sin, alive to God. Yeah. Present your members to Him. Your body to Him. Because you want to glorify Him in your body. Don't be doing what you used to do. Because there's shame in that. And that's, that's not who you are anymore. God is our new ruler. And we are to present ourselves to Him daily. For whatever service He demands. He says, for sin shall not have dominion over you. You're not under law... But under grace, and in our next study we're gonna look into this a bit a little bit more. Um, under law means probably designates the Mosaic era, so where the law of Moses set the standard. Okay, so so really before Christ, we know that the law, the, the Mosaic law, was the standard, right? And the only problem with this is that the law brings condemnation. And we've said why. It's not because the law's bad, the law's good beautiful from the Lord. The problem is it just, it's like a spotlight that just throws a or, or lightens up who you are and your flaws and your defects and, and sin and, and make you realise goodness me I can't, I can't do it. I can't reach a standard. And the strength of sin is in the law. It's like sin uses the law to bring condemnation and rightly so. But what has Christ done? Has he, he's set us free from these things, from the dominion of these things. That doesn't mean to say we're lawless, by the way. Okay, we're not under the law, but God has written his law upon our hearts. And if we're under any law, we're under the law of Christ. Then you can read about that all through the New Testament. He says we're under grace. Under grace, which describes the inaugurated new eschatological age. Goodness, I mean, what does that mean? Eschatological Eschaton, the end times if you want, okay? Eschatology is the study of end times. So the age to come. But the thing is that age to come has already broken in. Because Christ has come and he's inaugurated. And the power of the age to come has come. The grace of the age to come has come and invaded. Okay? So praise God, we're seeing the power of his grace that's ruling. In our lives you are not under law. In Christ you're not under law. You're not under condemnation. There's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm going to read about that. No, wonderful. No more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet he knows. He knows that you need his mercy. Even now. He knows that even now with all these truths. You're guaranteed to, to fall at different points. You're guaranteed to mess it up. You sin, don't you? Do I I sin? you? We all sin, don't we? In different ways. But praise God. Praise God. You know that that, that Christ's sacrifice is enough. Uh, um, His blood is enough to, to go on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. When we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, so, and yet His grace continues to work in us. He continues to take us from one level of glory to a new level of glory. glory. As John said today, you're, being, you're predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And that's His project in your life. That's His blueprint in, in your life. He's conforming you to the image of the Son. Amen? Right. Hallelujah. He who begun the good work in you Will bring it to completion, praise God, until the day of Jesus Christ, the Word says. Amen. That should encourage you. That should encourage you. Okay, and so that is the end of tonight's study.